Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I talk with fascinating and inspiring guests who are living their lives with vibrance and purpose. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist, author, and fellow Zestful Ager. And if you like the podcast, you'll love my companion online course, Zestful Aging, Simple and Sustainable Habits for Health and Longevity. And it comes with a 30-page companion manual. It's a blueprint for aging well. Because what good is living longer if we're not also healthy and happy? Find out more at NicoleChristina.com. Well, I've got my little Jack Russell Terrier Sparky right beside me, and I've got a cup of coffee in my hand, so let's begin. We have a wonderful show for you today. I'm going to be speaking with Sandra Fish, who's an actress. She is on the acclaimed show, the Netflix series, Sense8. She's a writer and an end-of-life advocate and the co-founder of the Humane Prison Hospice Project, which helps prisoners in San Quentin die with dignity. Sandra has a history of working in social justice work. She's worked with inmates to find secure work. She's worked in sub-Saharan Africa with refugees and taught inside Rikers Island Prison. And uh, she was teaching in Midtown Manhattan when the towers came down. Today we're going to talk with Sandra about her dedication to helping marginalized people die with dignity. Welcome to the show, Sandra. Thank you. You know, the first thing that comes to mind, and I'm sure this is an observation that other people have made, is that you live in very disparate worlds. One is an actress, and I know that Sense8 is getting so much attention, and, and there's so much excitement around that series. So you live in the world of acting, and then you live in the world of the most marginalized, heartbreaking um, stories. Can you talk a little bit about what that's like? Sure. Um, it, it, for me as an actor, uh, it, it's, it's a, an art form, and I believe that art forms are to... Um, to connect us, to, to understand our humanity, the, the struggle of being a human, um, which everyone has, and I'm very impressed by the human being to get up in the morning, uh, no matter where you're coming from. So, so going into these, uh, these extreme worlds of suffering, uh, really feeds what I do as an actress, um, and my acting somehow feeds the other just in terms of my my hunger to connect and um so so they don't feel um disparate to me um i i've had lots of interconnections with i i think i uh, 
might have mentioned before that I began my work in prison because of a play I did 30 years over 30 years ago called Getting Out. And I played someone who was getting out of prison and we had an amazing director and cast and and did research visiting women's prisons and and my eyes were opened up and would never shut again and Mm -hmm. organically over the decades. Uh, I became more and more involved. It was quite organic, um, serendipitous. And then, um, yeah, so so for me, the worlds are, are it, for me, living a, a, a full, deep life is the only way to do my acting and my writing. So yeah. it's so what that says to me is that for you there's a common denominator here. It's not yes. that acting is a, a different world being a woman uh, at acting and being, you know, sort of rubbing elbows with people who we I don't know if it's true, but the perception is that you know, they're different from the average person, that they have different lives and they're more sparkly and Well, that's uh, true. <laughs> you 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 are you are correct in many ways because sometimes and there's all different kinds of actors and artists and some are actors and stars and Hollywood and and some are and then you have the artists. So um, when you're on a set, you rub with all of them, the divas, the princesses, the, the, you know, the players, the, all of that. But my, I am drawn to more of the artists and, and there are many and um, it can seem very shallow, some of that world, but it, if you're with the real deal, it, it's very, very deep and, and you can run into the same thing in prisons you know there are the sparkly ones the but there's no there's not I can't say there's any real shallowness there um you know no one's running to you know oh my dress doesn't look good on me you know (laughs) uh, whatever so yes that there is that but there's that in the world our world right now I think our culture right now is extremely uh, uh at odds all over the place and there's mm-hmm. just so much uh, uh frivolous concerns about am i sexy do i look mm-hmm. good you know am i i mean in am i hip enough am i am i doing what everyone's doing i mean it's just i uh, might call those tough. kardashian vo- uh, values yes and they're and sadly they 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 run. They, they they seem to be permeating this pop culture uh, machine. But again, I, I if you make the choice to not go into that, there is a vast, rich, beautiful world of amazing people. I I I am involved with on a day to day, hourly basis. Really, I I am so fortunate to to be involved with the people I'm involved with. So so it so when I see that other, I'm like whoa what's <laughs> it's, a, it's foreign that's so interesting because we've spoken before and I hadn't thought about it quite this way but I think this is a really important point I think what you're saying is it's not different we are all human yes. and we all have these parts um and 
Whereas being on the outside looking in saying, oh, you know, she's she's been involved with this project and that project. She's on this massively popular Netflix series. And yet you're saying, yeah, it's all part of the same life for you. It's yes. all, the, it, it, there's nothing, uh, it, it's not polar opposite. It's no. that we all have these pieces that make us human and yes and i love uh, i integrate my life is very integrated i don't put things in boxes so everything affects everything and i have these constant serendipitous things um with my acting work and my prison work where they're always colliding and and it's it's comforting to me it makes me feel like i'm i'm in the right place do you ever get reactions from your fellow actors that they're a bit perplexed about why you would be so deeply involved in prison justice? You know, uh, now and then, but for the most part, not, because I'm not, I'm not generally sitting with the movie star, even though I have, and the ones that I know... Um, I can give an example. A friend of mine is is an actor, uh, William Hurt, and he uh, he's very very uh, deep about these things. And and then you so so now and then you get people like going, huh? Not very often because most actors are liberal uh, um, people who really have really do care about the human condition. I'd say most mm -hmm. actors, not, not, mm -hmm. not even, you know, just most actors. So they're usually interested. Um, many times they're involved in their own, uh, either social justice or, or human caring in their own lives. So it's, it's not, I, you know, yeah, they're, they're, they may be surprised or tell me more, but not, not perplexed. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's, yeah, that's very interesting. Can you take us through um, a day in the life of Sandra Fish going to San Quentin, San Quentin? And I mean, that's, yeah. if people haven't been there, it's on the most gorgeous piece of real estate <laughs> yes. in the world. And so, it, but it's an old, old building and yes. you go up. Can you, can you take our listeners through what this looks like, what this feels like? Sure. Um, now I'm, I'm quite used to it. So it's, it, some people, when I bring them for the first time, they're, you know, nervous or, or, or they expect something else. But for me, um, you know, you, you park in the parking lot in the back and, and I've got a post office box at the little post, tiny little brick building post office, San Quentin Village. Uh, San Quentin Prison is in, in the town of San Quentin, which is very, 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 very tiny, but um, some beautiful real estate. You're right. It's right on the bay in, outside of San Francisco. And, and you know, and then I, I uh, you, you have to wear conservative clothing is important. I don't understand why some women uh, wear tight clothing and things. I find it appalling to go into a prison dress like that and you're really not supposed to. So I wear my baggy suits and it has to be all black or that's the easiest way to get in because if you're wearing blue, they don't allow it. They're wearing orange. So there's lots of rules around what you wear. You leave your cell phone out. 
Um, they're allowing us to bring in pens and notebooks, which is good. And you go through, you know, you come up and there's a guard at the gate and show him that I'm a, what is known as a brown card holder, but I have my driver's license I'm showing. And then you walk down a huge, long sidewalk, which overlooks the water. And the, you're right, the prison is very old. It's like going into an old castle or something with big iron gates and iron bars. And, and you go to what's called the uh, Sally Port entrance of the prison where I get sign in on a, you know, a kind of a, kind of an archaic notebook and everything feels very archaic. I mean, I think it was built in the 1800s. Um, the prisoners built their own prison. They were imprisoned on a, on a ship out in the bay and they would sail them in every day to build the prison. So you, you sign in there, there's a guard there. Um, they get, give me my brown card. There's another iron gate. You go in and, and, and sit there and, until the next gate opens. And then that, then you're kind of locked between two gates while you show your card again. And then you walk out through that gate. And there's this wonderful courtyard at San Quentin that the prisoners have made gardens out of and, and beautiful gardens. And, and uh, so there's this, there, we used to walk through what they call the yard where all the men are working out um, and some transgender women. And it's filled with prisoners. Um, it could be intimidating, you know, your first time walking through this, you know, mob of men working out, playing basketball, um, doing weights, just walking around. And everyone's very respectful. Uh, mm. Everyone's very respectful. They know we're, you know, they see the, how you're dressed. They see you don't, you know, you're a volunteer. They so appreciate us coming in. So very respectful. Keep their distance. Now and then we'll get a hello and how's it going and and that kind of thing. Um, if someone does anything that seems the least bit uh, aggressive, it could be raising their arms in there and saying, hey, there's this booming. It doesn't happen very often. I can count on one hand. But there's a booming siren and a voice and all the men have to drop to their knees and stay there mm. and and then you just walk keep walking that's what you're supposed to do you just keep walking through and and I was just wondering about and this may be a funny question but what's the energy like when you're walking and you're you're going from you know you're in um the town you're walking mm. into this huge old building filled with sorrow, uh, sorrow, <laughs> distress, Regret. everything. Mm -hmm. And you walk in, what, what, what does it feel like in, in your body? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Cause when I went to Sing Sing, I had this whole body thing happening cause I hadn't been to a huge prison. Now that I'm been going in, I have a way, and I think we all have a way of shielding ourselves but not shutting down, where you simply um, have a, a, a have a shield up where it, it, it's loving and kind, but you're not open. You don't mm. leave yourself open. Mm -hmm. and and it's important to be that way. 
Uh, otherwise, I would be bombarded by this. And when I leave, uh, it's not uncommon for me to get in my car and cry. Um, it, it's so intense, the intensity of of what's going on and how hard people, the ones I work with, are trying to 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 get out, mm -hmm. to 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 serve each other, to to uh, the remorse is so deep that every hour of their life is about making up for what they did. Mm -hmm. It's hell. I mean, that is a living hell. Yeah. It, it, it's not good enough. And, and I have to mention my boyfriend because he's so lovely and he's an actor and I met him on Sense8. He plays Bug. And he, well before I even met him, has always been interested in this. Just to, more proof of actors, you know. He's very, very passionate about this. And I brought him in for the first time, although it wasn't really in the prison. It was in the visiting room where the Native Americans, this was just a few weeks ago, were holding a powwow, which was quite extraordinary, too. Um, that The people who are in there are not what people on the outside wish they were, you know, that we could actually divide the good from the bad. Um, there is no such thing, really, I don't think. And when I leave San Quentin, I mean, it is the most peaceful time of my week being in there with these men. And, mm -hmm. and they, they care so deeply, and they're so honest, and they're so real, and they appreciate me so much, and they're so respectful towards me. And I just think, why can't, you know, I, I wish more people on the outside could be like these people I spend time with. Um, gosh, I think I got off track there, but uh, yeah, the 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 energy in the prison is is difficult. And I did Christmas caroling last December in there, where they let us go into the the um, tiers, you know, the the real the cell area. And that was, I, I just fell apart the next day. Um, mm. So intense. It, it was on a razor's edge of, is this disgusting that I'm in here going, fa la 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 you know? mm. <laughs> Or is it good? And one of the prisoners came up to me and I asked him, I said, I have such mixed emotions about what I'm doing right now. And he said, you know, my first year here, uh, the carolers came and he said, I just had tears running down my face because I, it was so good, you know, and so appreciated. And he's, he understood what I was saying, but he also said, no, it's good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The, you know, you talk about the intensity and it sounds like the richness, it sort of cuts both ways where, mm. you know, there's this realness and genuine human connection that really seems to light you up. But then there's the other side where there's, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like that there's the sense of unfairness and injustice and, 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 and this marginalization, which you really struggle with yeah the, it, but for me life if we if we deal with life honestly and we want to uh live fully that's that's you must you must bear that pain 
You must go through that pain. Um, I think people, I see, I see, frankly, most people distracting themselves from their own lives uh, so that they don't feel the pain. I don't blame them, but they're missing out. <laughs> you know, if we don't deal with our stuff, we all have it. Uh, you're not really fully alive, but if you deal with your stuff, it's painful. Um, but it's, for me, it's the way I have to live and it's been very rewarding. And yes, there's injustice constantly and you, you know, talking about it and talking about it is, is boring in a way. Uh, I mean, it's good that it's out there and people are talking, but it's like, you know, live, live that, live that, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Not just maybe read about it and say, right. I'm going to vote and I'm going to... Well, voting but... is good, and of course, and that's good, and it's good that people are educated, but sometimes sometimes people feel good just because they listen to the right program and they... Um, you know, they, they feel like they've done something, and maybe in a way they have, I don't know, but it, it, it can be... I'd rather talk about what we're doing and not what not theory or or what we last heard or read um i rather want to be in the trenches yeah i want to be in the trenches and i want to talk with people who are in the trenches and when i say the trenches i don't expect everyone to go into prison or or sit with dying people that's not for everyone but i expect them to live their lives uh, that that's being in the trenches enough for me if someone is facing their own stuff uh, that's the trenches. So that's exciting to me. The people I'm with generally have gone through hell and back. Um, so, and I think all humans suffer that way, but if you ignore it, it's boring to me. <laughs> mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the humane prison project and really what you're up to? What, sure. what are the goals and what's the agenda? Yes, it started about 12 years ago when I went, because I also worked in end of life, held a best friend's hand when she took her last breath and, and became very drawn to um, uh, being with people who are dying. And, 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 and so I, it's too long a story, but I ended up going, well, how are they dying in San Quentin? And I heard they were dying badly. So I started on this mission which has been very slow but s s relentless in a way of working on getting hospice care in prisons um so about i want to say two years ago uh people started i i started feeling like i was getting the right people involved who are legitimate and well trained and and uh high integrity and mission oriented to to help with working on this mission to help people who are dying in prisons and um so we created this organization so that people could you know go oh yeah they exist and and so we in san quentin they don't have hospice um i'm not giving up on and i know they will at some point so what we did was go in and work with this exceptional group of prisoners, the Brothers Keepers, who are trained as crises counselors, peer crises counselors. And, and they've been wanting to, to learn about how to care for each other at the end of their lives because 
people do die in San Quentin, even though the medical director uh, denies that. <laughs> people don't die here. Well, they do die there, and they don't die well. And um, oftentimes... What yeah, does that mean, Sandy? What, when you say they don't die well, what, what does that mean? Okay. Uh, well, let me take the, the, the more common example, which is, you know, they're in these cells that, were, that are so small, they're illegal. The Humane Society says they're illegal to keep a dog in, and you have two men in there. Mm. So you've got two men in the cell, and they become closer than brothers, and they care for each other. One of them is dying of cancer, say, which I've heard these stories. So, uh, and they don't want to go to the medical facility there because it's isolating and it's scary. And they're away from people who have become family members to them. And they're locked in a room with no windows and a nurse peeking in a, in a glass. And I'm not belittling the nurses or the medical facility. It's a very difficult job especially in a system that is punitive and trying to look at these people as animals. So if you have this dying person in the cell, they don't want to go to medical, they're in pain. So the cellmate is taking care of them. The cellmate is, is, is cleaning them and, and caring for them and trying to get pain medications or medications to them, uh, which is pretty much impossible, but they're caring for them. Then this is the, the horror is the cellmate then dies. And what San Quentin does, which I, my understanding is breaking international law, is San Quentin takes the cellmate who's grieving now for, for their celly who's died and they've been caring for them. They take them and put them in the hole. They put them in solitary confinement because they have to, quote, you know, do an investigation to make sure there was no foul play. And they have mm. kept people in that hole for months and months. Oh, and, my goodness. And there you can imagine grieving in solitary confinement. Oh, my goodness. So it, it's cruel. And it's, it's insult to injury. Yeah, it's, it's, it's beyond... Uh, I mean, and I believe these actions were all complicit. It's not like, oh, well, they are doing that. We have somehow created a, a, a culture that allows this. And um, so, so that, that's dying badly, the, dying badly on the fourth floor of the medical facility, even being taken out to the, they have a good uh, facility in Vacaville. It's uh, called... I think it's California Medi Men's Facility, CMF. Anyway, it's a medical facility for prisoners, and they have a lovely hospice program in there that's been going for at least 20 years. But I contend that taking someone out of San Quentin, where they've been for 30 years, and this is where they live, and moving them to a fa another facility is also cruel. And oftentimes, you know, there's only 17 beds up there, so, you know, it's not like everyone can go. Mm -hmm. And they do have a law called compassionate release. Sadly, it rarely gets affected, because, I mean, put into practice because mm -hmm. the paperwork takes so long, they usually die before they get out. Not always, though, so it's a good law. And are there visitors allowed when people are terminally ill? I, it's a no. maximum security prison, right? I, well, it was. They've, they've taken it down one level, I believe. But 
and they still have a death row, which is a big deal. Um, but no, no, they are not allowed visitors uh, in San Quentin when they're dying. And, and that's another. So these are things we are advocating. I don't know if I told you, my, I went, we went to the United Nations. Uh, we were accepted to go this just this past July um, for a conference they were having on the elderly in the world. And mm -hmm. Marvin Mutch, who'd been in prison for 41 years and was innocent, and got out, and he works with us, and he's amazing. He came with me, and he spoke, and we were the only ones at the conference bringing the peace on the aging in prison. Mm -hmm. And the response from around the world was very uh they were appalled at what we do in our prisons, but they were very, very much wanting to be involved and help any way they can to, to start changing these policies. I see with international law. Is yes. that, is yeah. that the root? Yeah. And that's different than Angola. Um, if you believe what you see on serving life, that documentary mm. with uh, Forrest Whitaker, where mm. it seems like um, the administration there is much more about having a humane death. Yes. And, um, and actually more of a rehabilitation yes. than um, a punishment. Yes. Yes, and that's beautiful. And, um, and I will plug Prison Terminal. Edgar Behrens is on our board and works with us. And he did a, a short documentary called Prison Terminal that was up for an Academy Award in 2014. Uh, it is also, that's, that's a hospice in a prison. I believe it's in Iowa. And so these do exist in the country. They're just way too few. Mm -hmm. Do you see that slowly changing? I do, but that's because I'm an optimist. Mm -hmm. No, I, I feel sure it will change, for sure. Um, it's just one of those things. It takes time. But I, I, more and more and more people are talking about it, uh, I, uh, this idea of how are people, because there's such an aging population in our prisons, mm -hmm. it's like, well, how are they dying? How are we taking care of them? What's going on? What would you like to see, Sandra? What do you see as dying with dignity? What, you know, can you can you describe, you know, your view and your belief of what needs to happen for these prisoners? Yes. Um, I think it needs to be what happens on the outside, too. Um, the dying person needs to have the the choices of of. Um, certainly whether they want to be resuscitated or not or how much medical attention they want, but certainly to have a space where they can put up photos, they can uh, make it, you know, have colorful quilts, have it, have it be a bedroom, have the, their fellow inmates visiting them that they want to visit, having family members visit, having their own choices to these last days, these last weeks, um, to to feel the love and and the care and as you I think you mentioned the rehabilitation for the prisoners taking care of the dying prisoner is extraordinarily transformative really mm -hmm. and um, so yeah just a very humane uh, uh, 
listening to what their needs are Mm -hmm. and and having the people around them that they love um and being treated simply as a human being i i I believe our last breaths are our most important moment and it's um, important for those of us not dying to to respect and love and and pay attention to someone going through that can you say a little bit more our last breaths are our most important moments Yes, I, I, I feel like it's, I, I even feel like at your last breath, a whole life could be redeemed. Um, mm. it, it, it's your last moments in this life. Um, and I, I think about it daily. I, I'm big on talking and thinking about death. And, and sometimes I think about it and go, oh my God, that's just that's ridiculous. I'm not going to die. I mean, when you really think about it and, and I feel I, you know, I, I have my own beliefs and, and it's all a mystery. So you can't really say what's going to happen. But my experience with being people who die and the peace that comes at the end and the things that happen, I believe there's a lot more going on than we understand. And it's your transition into whatever your next life is Mm -hmm. and and the more conscious you can be at that moment is what will you know take you there and it's it's just it's the accumulation of an entire life ending uh or or transitioning i should say Mm -hmm. so other things you do it's so mystical it's hard to put words to it but the things we think about or care about uh, disappear at that last moment. And what really, really is the key to, to clarity and, and freedom and love comes forth. Um, and I do have to mention before we run out of time, my favorite quote from the Zen monk that was training Jack Cornfield when he was a young man to be a monk. And and Jack Cornfield was worrying about this and worrying about that. And the Zen monk said, don't worry, soon dead. Mm. So uh, that's kind of my motto. Mm. Even though I have my little fits in, in my daily life, my motto when I'm really worried about something is, you know what, this is ridiculous. And I make my decisions when I'm confused uh, mm-hmm. based on my deathbed. What would I have thought what would I think on my deathbed mm-hmm. what would I have done mm-hmm. avoiding those regrets which yes. is what we know about are so universal yes you know with books that have been written from palliative care people saying almost everyone says they wish they would have worked less and been with their loved ones more sure and and for me because i have lived a a life where people are like what are you doing you know leaping off cliffs and going as marvin said learn to fly on your way down and and it's this sense of of wanting to face things wanting to live a full life um not going not regretting thinking oh god i why was i scared you know why was i it's one thing to be scared. Of course I'm scared, but uh, it's one thing to be scared and not do something. I prefer to be scared and go, well, I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm, and, scared, and I'm scared and I'm and really I'm scared. 
So it's really, it sounds like you've already, you started this way, but your experience um, in in hospice and all of these mm. other projects have really reinforced the mm. way you Absolutely. think about life. I, I'm curious, as you've sat with so many uh, dying people and, and, and the, um, the dying prisoners, has that changed your view about what happens after death? Have sure. you had a, yeah, what, what, what does it feel like to be with someone whose life that they stop breathing and, the, and their life is then ended? What, what do you experience? Well, I can give you the, the most specific one. And I have held dying babies as well, which is a whole nother realm. Mm. But um, what I experienced, and, and I, these are experiences, when I was 21, my stepdad died, and I was very close to him. And I started feeling things then even, and maybe even before, I've always been sort of, uh, as a child, more in the spirit, you know, connecting to the spiritual realm. But um, when my best friend died, and she was 42, and I was holding her hand as she took her last breath. And um, there was a sense of such uh, euphoria. Mm. I, f I felt this sense of lightness and expansion and uh, timelessness. And I, I just felt buoyed up. I was high. I was just absolute. And, and she wanted us to dress her, lay her on the bed for three days while we meditated by her. And um, I had a lot of experiences there. And and it, it was a sense of some profound goodness. Um, and, of course, I crashed and sobbed my guts out after they took her body away and it was time to really grieve. But my sense when I'm with people, and I have not been with dying prisoners. I want to be. That was my goal in the beginning. And at some point I will sit with them. But um, my... Every single time I've been around uh, those last hours uh, is a sense of a profound peace. Uh -huh. And and it's undeniable because I'll, I'll even argue with myself over the mystical experiences I've had with people who have died and communicate with me and and these that I and I always try and argue it. And at a certain point you go, this is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Why are you arguing with this? <laughs> Just accept it. <laughs> Here it, it is. <laughs> it's a beautiful, wonderful thing, and, and mm -hmm. you're going to drive your poor dead friends crazy. <laughs> mm. Oh, wow. What, I, it's so wonderful to speak to you about this because you're, these are conversations that people don't usually have. Mm. Mm, I, I know, and I love having them. Thank you. Are, is there anything you'd like to share with our listeners before we end? It, it just anything about your experiences or your hopes um, for your work? Anything at all? Well, I guess just just a hope that <laughs> I, get, I get so emotional. I guess just a hope that um, people can learn to love themselves. You know, it always hurts me to hear people that I love say that they don't love themselves. And I think that's a key problem. And if, and if people love themselves and, and forgive themselves and each other, 
all these things we wish for would fall into place. Mm-hmm. So, you know, be brave. <laughs> be mm-hmm. brave and love yourself mm-hmm. and live your life. Damn it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Boy, that's that that gets to the heart of it. Thank you so much for your honesty and 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 all the work that you're doing. Oh, I know you. that it brings honor. you great joy. It does. But it also is bringing great joy to the people you serve and I I just want to acknowledge that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for allowing me to express myself on your program. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. And please consider becoming a patron of the show. You will get access to exclusive bonuses and you will be part of the Zestful Aging community. Keep us going strong. Go to patreon.com slash Zestful Aging. See you next time for another episode of Zestful Aging.